1: Welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we have with us my good friend who I have arguably slept in more moving vehicles with than anybody else in my entire life. My good friend from Death Therapy and previously from Becoming the Archetype and from uh, mine and his little side project called The Reverse List, Jason Wisdom. Hello, everybody.
2: That's me. Yo. Yo. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, Uh, Jason and Josh have never met in ever. I don't know
2: how I don't know how I feel about the sleeping in the vans intro (laughs) piece, but that's okay.
1: It's true. It happens. It's true. I mean, I from my
2: perspective, from my perspective, the death therapy trips have been way more like cush and like staying in hotels compared to the BTA days (laughs) when we were just like eating ramen and had like three dollars a day to live off of no but.
1: for sure no we're uh so it's more of like i think i've i think you and i have napped slash slept in every possible moving vehicle
2: i think that's true yes
1: because vans we did a bus when we were uh in germany on the way back to the airport we and in mexico, and in mexico airplanes mm-hmm. um i think the only one we haven't done is trains
2: yeah we need to do a train tour <laughs> train tour we did josh, an rv you, jo- josh is being left out of this over there i know I just, josh.
0: I'm, I'm just i'm just absorbing all this it's really nice yeah
2: yeah you were just watching a bunch of tiktoks while we were talking yeah, yeah.
0: Awesome.
1: behind the scenes we were trying to start this episode and josh was unaware because we had a couple cancellations today so josh was just chilling at his computer watching tiktoks i was
0: like bro where are you at I was genius. literally sitting here with zoom up. Yeah. And Drew drew FaceTime me and he's like, where are you? <laughs> like I'm around. What's up? We're waiting yeah. for you. Let's do it.
1: That's so good. Uh no. So Jason, uh, if Josh doesn't know, Jason has been in the game for a hot minute. So mm-hmm. uh, just as a, I guess, primary songwriter in terms of lyricism correct correct uh and melody and whatnot uh but let's take it back from the beginning so let's get like a how you got to pre uh becoming the archetype days pre-becoming like archetype right? yeah
2: well i sort of got into music as an accident um i had a friend who we we liked similar music. We were both super into like Five Iron Frenzy and MXPX and things like that in the late '90s. And yeah. we found out that we had that in common when we were riding the school bus in high school. And um, then we became friends. But he was trying to start a band in his basement. This is uh, Brent Duckett, or some people call him Duck. Oh yeah. Um, who played drums in Becoming the Archetype. And he wanted to start a band in his parents' basement, and I was just kind of hanging around. No musical ability, really. I was in choir, but he was trying to start a metal band, so he didn't need me to sing choir vocals. Um, and uh, they already had vocalists and everything. I just sort of hung around. And I think there was an opportunity, if I remember correctly, for a battle of the bands where one of the vocalists couldn't do it. and Because us back in the... you know, Some people are old enough, they remember it was a super cool thing back then to have like... Two vocalists in a screaming band. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, one would sing and one would scream. It um, was like the thing for a for a little while there. Um, not so much anymore. Or at least all the people that do that, like one of them seems to keep getting busted for something and having to quit <laughs> the band. But um, that's sorry. way too real. <laughs> it's already <laughs> yeah.
0: spicy. This is what I came for. Sorry. <laughs> what, what, Wait, said, what are we talking about? Um, oh, I don't know. I, I didn't mention any
2: names. About. No, but. But it's happened more than once in the past couple of years. In Atlanta. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, all I'm saying is, so one of the vocalists couldn't do it. This is like Battle of the Bands at a high school. And uh, we learned like a a Zayo song from way back in the day. And played it. It scared a lot of people to death at a Battle of the Bands. And then I sort of guess I was in the band, so to speak. And then the bass player quit. And I didn't know how to play in any instruments or anything. I was like, well, if you just tell me which strings to push down, I'll try to learn. And so then I was singing and playing bass. And yeah, that was how I got into that. That band through went, went through like four or five different names and then got signed to Solid State Records in 2004 and changed our name to Becoming the Archetype. So,
1: so yeah, Josh, if you didn't know, Jason plays bass and screams at the same time for all of, well, the reversal says. Is- a fake band, but the uh, the other two bands, Death Therapy and uh, it's an anime band. An anime band uh, <laughs> for Death Therapy and becoming the archetype, he screams and sings for Death Therapy and plays bass at the same time. That's crazy. So, like, that puts for me, it's easier whenever...
2: though. If you, it's easier to do if you write everything, oh, you yeah, because then you can just be like, well, I can't sing and play that, so I'm not going to do it. Yeah, um, and then you could just make it something that works. But this new record I'm working on, um, I've been working with Nate Washburn, who's from the band My Epic, and we've been writing stuff together, which has been really challenging. But a lot of these songs, I'm like, there's just no way, there's just no way I could ever play and <laughs> sing this at the same time. So it's like Daniel
1: Gailey writing your parts again.
2: We'll see. I will see how it goes. Just have to. I'm gonna have to pass the bass off to Andrew. No, and I'll just jump out into the crowd. <laughs>
1: it's like yeah it's like did daniel when daniel was in the band did he ever write parts where you were like oh goodness
2: um so when when i was in the band with daniel i was only in the band with daniel for one album mm-hmm. and we um um hey josh how's it going uh, you can't see josh but Seagraves, graves see josh Seagraves <laughs> is over there and he can't hear you because i have headphones on. oh tell him i said hey. but uh that's the drummer for death therapy um <clears throat> anyway podcast people like what uh, yeah <laughs> but um yeah daniel so daniel was playing in a little band daniel's like super famous now so like yeah. talk about i well, this name drop daniel gailey um <laughs> he's in fit for a king for people who don't know and phineas and he was in a little band in cleveland georgia and bta sort of needed a guitar player and he was there and joined us for one record player? and he and I would get together and I would go, Hey, I want to do a guitar part that goes like, bwee, 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 bwee. and he'd be like, okay. And he'd play it on guitar <laughs> and it's really corny. So like I wrote, I wrote some of that stuff, but I just never with an instrument. It was just always with like mouth air voices. guitar, mouth vocals. And Daniel would make it actually an instrumental thing. So really cool. uh, yeah, not, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's, there's, I know there's – so we're going to move on from death therapy – I mean, to death therapy level area stuff in a little bit. I don't want to talk too much about BTA, but mm-hmm. uh, there are two stories that I want you to tell, Josh, okay. that I know about. So number one is mm-hmm. – and you can choose which order to do this. So number one is uh, Daniel Gailey in the van, mm-hmm. Number, t- which is a great one. And number mm-hmm. two is uh, going to Vancouver – to record, what was it, the second or third album?
2: Third record with Devin Townsend. Devin Townsend. Yeah. Uh, So we'll do the Daniel in the van story. Yeah, this is a great story. First. You hanging in there, Josh? Oh, I am. You're on the edge of your seat? So, Josh, this one's for you. Yeah, this is for you. (laughs) So um, back in the day, BTA used to tour a lot. um, And then we weren't necessarily on the most comfortable tours. We were just in a little van. And, you know, kind of DIYing it around the country. And we found ourselves at one point outside of uh, Baltimore, if I'm remembering correctly. Uh, D.C., Baltimore area and traffic is notoriously awful there. It's sort of like having Atlanta and L.A. next to each other. And we were sitting in traffic that was so bad that we were just like in park for hours at a time. Um, nobody was moving at all. We were super tired from being on the road. The other band that was on tour with us, by the way, if Andrew doesn't know this part of the story, is the band Onward to Olympus. That, If you remember them, they um, they were on Face Down Records back in the day, mm-hmm. and their singer Kramer Lowe uh, went on to be in a band called Forevermore um, that was on Solid State Records. Anyway, really band. cool bands, if you don't yeah. know. This is like old school. But anyway, they were touring. They were up in front of us, so we're two vans just sitting, doing nothing, right? Bored, out of our minds, super tired, and Daniel is in the back of the van and he zips, he's got a sleeping bag and he like zips himself up completely over his head in the sleeping bag. So he's like a blue worm in a sleeping bag. And he comes jumping over and bouncing on the seat in the back of the van. And we're all just cracking up laughing because if you've ever been that tired,
0: everything's, hilarious. everything's funny. Yeah. Everything's yeah. funny. <laughs>
2: yeah. I've told people, I'm like, I think you go through like a couple phases. You get through the, the phase where everything's annoying. And then if you get past that, Everything's yeah hu- everything's <laughs> you hilarious that wall
0: where it's like oh that's hilarious <laughs> right right no so reason. we're all
2: just we're just like oh this is hilarious this is the funniest thing i was in the driver's seat seth guitar player, is in the passenger seat and i was like you know it'll be hilarious seth you should pick up daniel on your shoulder run up to the onward to olympus van like throw open their doors and toss daniel in in the sleeping <laughs> bag and like it'll just freak him out and daniel can like bounce around and like go crazy and it'll just be hilarious uh, this is, obviously, n- people are like, that's not really that funny, probably. But that's to hilarious. us, at, at the I, time, I, it was I, like, th- this is the most genius idea we've ever had. It's like when in the middle Elon of the night Musk, and a Burger King commercial like. comes on and you're just like cracking up about how stupid the little plastic face King guy looks or something. <laughs> that was us. We were just like, this is the best idea. We have to do this. So Seth gets out, opens the doors, gets Daniel up on his shoulder, ready to go up to their van. And that's when traffic decides to start moving, finally. So Seth's kind of like getting adjusting Daniel around, kind of like almost drops him, picks him back up, puts him back, stuffs him back into the van, and we roll. We're rolling on. Um, But as we start moving, cars are coming by on the left and the right, and people are like craning their necks. Like, what? What's going on in that van? And I look at the guys, I'm like, I don't know what they think we were doing, but obviously they don't think it was good. But I still, you know, at this point, we'd have no idea. So, um, we get down the road a little ways. We're not going probably more than five miles an hour. And there's two state troopers parked on the left side of the road. And I was like, okay, that's for us. It was like, no doubt those guys are here for us. So honestly, I don't even, I mean, I, some of the details of the story may have become like, you know, if you've ever seen the movie, big fish, um, there's like, it may have been a little exaggerated. I don't really know, but I swear to this day that I saw the state troopers and just like they didn't even hardly have to turn their lights on, and we already pulled over. I was just like, "Yep, yeah, okay, it's for us." Their lights kind of started to come no, we on, and I pulled to explain over.
0: Explain that it's a guitarist, yeah. in a sleeping bag. So we
2: pulled over. We pull over, and of course, I'm expecting that. Ah, uh, crap! We're gonna get a ticket. You know, there's gonna be some guy in a wide brim hat with aviator shades is gonna come up and write us a ticket in this ticket book and tell us quit playing on the highway, you idiots. And when I normal stuff. When I, when, I, when I look in the mirror though, that's not what I saw. I saw I saw police officers in like full blown Call of Duty SWAT team mode with their guns out, like hunkered down, swooping around the van on both sides, coming for us, coming in hot. And then all of a sudden they start banging on the sides of the van, which is, you know, it's like a passenger van, so it's kind of hollow, so it's really loud when they're banging on the van inside and we're all there's guys like sleeping in the back and we're like, Wow, what's going on? So the story goes at least from the other guys. They said they claim that I said in a very monotone, quiet voice, I said, They've got their guns out. Um <laughs> which is like the most understated thing. And they were like what? <laughs> really? And I was like, they've got their guns out. Um so they start screaming, get out of the van, get out of the van. Everybody else gets out of the van on the right side of the van you know, the one passenger door over there. And then I'm out by myself on the left side. As soon as I get out of the van, there's a gun like right in front of my face. And the police officer screams, get on the ground now or I'll blow your effing head off. And I'm just like, "Ah." and like, you know, (laughs) the fastest I've ever moved in my life into the grass on the shoulder of the highway just laying there by myself. Everyone else is on the other side. And, uh, You can hear the police are running around screaming, where's the girl? Where's the girl? And uh, I found out later. As everybody else started to get up and was explaining to the police officers what was going on, I was still laying there. They come around and finally get me up and they're explaining to them that uh, the police, people had called the police and said that we were kidnapping a girl in a sleeping bag on the side of the highway. And that's, yeah, they were coming after us, man. They were coming in hot. They went up and searched. (laughs) onward to Olympus van um, to make sure that we hadn't hid the girl up there. And <laughs> I've told this story, and every time I tell the story, I'm like more and more in shock that none of us had a girlfriend with us on tour. And I'm so grateful because if we had, we'd all gone to jail. You know what I mean? Even if yeah, she would have been the like, no, 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 it wasn't me. It, was, it was Daniel. He was just They'd have been like, nope, nope, you're going to jail. Straight to jail.
0: <laughs> wow
1: also that's crazy yeah that so legitimately that is one of the first time you ever told me that I thought I knew where it was gonna go you know' it was yeah. like oh they're gonna get pulled over haha ha, that's funny and yep. then it escalates Im- that's like well, straight I, to I, 11.
0: <laughs> I saw it yeah. coming that they thought that you were kidnapping somebody but I I didn't I didn't expect it to be like so violent yeah like it was I, like it was I pretty thought, well
2: and here's the because thing because like the nature the of thing. the
0: situation you know like you would think that they would just yeah. come up and be like oh you know we're doing like a like a wellness check sort of thing you know
2: right like hey just I, making sure you guys uh know you have a taillight out um are there any girls in your van uh, you yeah, know like, right but like, no I, I
0: didn't expect them to just like pull everybody out and like oh that's I crazy guess, i guess it makes DC. sense i
2: mean you can't really come in like all chill if there's suspicion that they've kidnap someone but also
0: like i feel like that's rather irresponsible to just like pull up threatening to like kill everybody (laughs) if like people are actually kidnapping a girl and they have guns and people are starting to shoot like that's very dangerous for a lot of people (laughs) like good thing you weren't like kidnapping somebody because like a bunch of like random people probably would have (laughs) died
2: man yeah that's crazy right (laughs) i I would also say it's just good that i wasn't kidnapping someone because otherwise that's horrible.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we, we wouldn't even know. <laughs> Regardless either. of what else happened.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing you weren't a terrible person. Full yeah, stop. I mean, good
0: thing you weren't kidnapping anybody because like worst case scenario.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, that sounded bad. Uh, right. That's that's like the least of the worries. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the
2: actual act. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I mean, you, anyway. you get what I'm saying, though. That's crazy that they just came up like ready yeah. to kill everybody. Super
2: hot. Yeah. They were ready, yeah, dude. no doubt. Uh, um, so the other story is—it's not really a story like that one is. No, but it's, it's just
1: a cool—it's just a cool thing. Like, yeah, no, Devin to, Townsend doesn't really nowadays doesn't work with anybody.
2: No, there was like a tiny little window of time when Devin Townsend, who he was in the band Strapping Young Lad, that was really successful, did a ton of stuff back in the day. He was like the MC for Ozfest for a while. There, he's like he's like a he's like a legitimate metal personality, superstar guy. You know, Devin Townsend band. He's done a million things. He was the singer for Steve Vai back in the '90s. Um, He's just he's an all around musical genius kind of guy. There was like a a tiny little window of time where he was producing um, bands, and he wasn't making metal himself. And uh, that's an interesting part of the story is so we got to record with him. We show up and, like, you know, we're this, like, squeaky clean church boys Christian metal band, you know? We're only scary to the church for,
1: people. And this was for which album? I can never
2: remember. Dichotomy. Dichotomy. It was a third 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 BTA record, 2008. This is okay. – and And um, we're only scary to, like, church ladies. But to <laughs> Devin Townsend, who's been, like, you know – lived you know sex drugs and rock and roll um and that was his life it's just it's a weird thing he's like he's quit playing metal at that point in his life because he thinks it's all about sex drugs and rock and roll and chaos and evil and he, and he explained it all of this to us mm-hmm. and we're telling him like no like we just we love metal because it sounds cool and you know we love jesus too <laughs> and he's just like this is weird mm-hmm. um so we actually had a really cool uh, experience, you know, talking with him and and uh, ate a lot of pierogies and poutine and stuff in Van- in Canada. Um, it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been in my life, off the coast of Vancouver.
1: I was gonna it's say, been, yeah, his lo- he's got like a island, right? Well, is that, that it, was, it
2: was it that, well that's where he had a place that he was recording at the time. Okay. It's not there now, but I'm but saying at the time, at the time, yeah, we went to this little place called Gibson's BC, which is off the coast of Vancouver absolutely gorgeous. You had to take a ferry boat to get there. We got to do pre-production in, um, in this studio live room that belonged to, um, I don't know if you pronounce it. Guga Garth, G Garth guy who did like, like the old original, like OG rage against the machine stuff. And like has done a ton of cool stuff. Um, got to do, you just piqued
1: Josh's interest. So heavy. Yeah. We got to do cool.
2: Yeah, um, not so the, when not when Raging Against Machine like blew up, but like going way back. Um, yeah, it was anyway. like the
1: early live room stuff that they did when they were yeah. All and he he's he super
2: super cool place, and it was just beautiful. Devin was super super like old school. He was just like, "So are you guys ready to play these songs for me?" And we were like, "Nah, we've we've written them on email and stuff." And he's like, "Nope, that's not how we do albums." So he put us in that live room thing um, with a PA speaker with the click track coming through it. and was like, cool. I'm going to like leave you guys in here until you're ready to play these songs for me. And then I'm going to come back in and make them better. So it was super cool. And uh, one of the best, if not the best experience I've ever had recording, he's just a genius. If you go listen to that record now, I, it's weird for me to say I'm a fan, but I'm just a fan of what he did with the record. Uh, it's the Dichotomy record for Becoming the Archetype. Yeah. Super cool. Great production. It holds up to this I re- day.
1: I remember, I think, whenever me and you talked about it the first time, uh, you were saying that he was like... Because was, this was post-Strapping Young Lad, but before Devin Townsend Project?
2: Well, so Devin Townsend Band had been around since even back in Strapping Young Lad days, and that was yeah. more rock stuff. But De- his new, his newer incarnation of Devin Townsend yeah. Project... Where he's done like some heavier stuff again. Yeah. This is like pre. It pre- was before that. Yeah, yeah. It was
1: before that. So, and this is post Strapping Young Lad. And Devin Townsend Band is just kind of like a thing that he does on the side. And he's doing production. He had burnout on, like you said, the whole sex, drugs, rock and roll thing mm-hmm. in the Strapping Young Lad days because they were wild. Like they're yeah, known absolutely. for being crazy. And that was
2: his thing. He just, he was like, if you're doing metal, that's why you do metal. And we were like, so- no. And, that's not why we do metal,
1: and that's what I was gonna say. Because I remember you saying like, it was something about like the riff or something.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Well, so, so Devin's super into, and I, to this day he still is super into like, new age like energies and like chakras and like vibes and stuff. Um, and there was a couple times where he'd be like, jamming a riff, and he'd be like, here, give me the guitar. I'm gonna let's do it this way instead. And he one time in particular, I remember. He grabbed the guitar and he was like, okay, let's play it like this. And he changed it. And it was not even, it wasn't even that crazy or anything. It's not like he started playing some like demonic chord sounding things. He just was like a, a gallopy riff that he changed up. And he almost got like frightened noticeably on his face of the power of the riff and like handed the guitar back to John and like left the room and went to the beach to like meditate. Um, and there were a couple other times where like he was working on a song, mixing it. There's one song on the record that has this like big production ending. That's got like buzz saws and drill sounds. It's just like nasty and gross thing. And I can remember him, him saying like, I'm never going to produce anything like that ever again. It's like the song's so evil and negative energy and all this kind of stuff. So that was always like a little bit of a back in the forth, back and forth kind of thing. And you know, Didn't find out until many, many years later that apparently, um, I'm not saying we were the reason, but I think we had a little bit of a hand in him coming back to playing like heavy music. But now, if you listen to everything he's done since then, it's all been like heavy, but with a super like positive twist or like spiritual Mm -hmm. thing. He realized, I I think,
1: I would say that he realized with you guys, because that was his first instance with this, that you can take metal and religion or something spiritual and combine those things in a positive way. In a
2: positive way. I think, I think, I think that's, yeah, that's fair. And he's, he's said as much in some like.
1: Yeah, he's referenced you guys in like interviews and stuff as being a defining instance of that. Yeah.
2: So that's cool. And I'm, yeah, definitely, um, you know. He's a hero of mine I, to For this sure. day. So, but yeah, yeah that's my Devin Townsend story. Oh, yeah. And the, when we got off the plane, we met him and we he took us to eat barbecue. It was the first place we went. Well, Devin's a vegetarian. Um, and we were in Canada. But I guess I think he's just like, well, these guys are from Georgia. So I got to take them to get some barbecue, meat, <laughs> some barbecue or something. Some I just, meat. I've looked back on that. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah. That's very, um,
1: actually, really nice.
2: Yeah, I know. It was awesome. It's great. That's like although I don't know. I don't know about Canadian like, barbecue. I, I like
0: I, I would never want like a vegetarian to take me to barbecue in Canada cuz like it would make <laughs> me feel bad. But at the same time the fact that like he thought to do that is like really sweet. Yeah,
2: 100%. And that was his whole I mean his just, yeah, Devin's a super sweet guy. I think that's so, part of his charm, it's part of what people love about Devin mm-hmm. Townsend. Like you can just you can follow him online and like every other day there's some posts like Hey, guys, how you doing this morning? You know, just like a little smiley face cat emoji or something. Mm -hmm. And that's just Devin's personality. Yeah. You know, which is such a which is such a departure from what his image was with the like nasty skullet dreadlocks and like being the coked up crazy guy, you Mm -hmm. know, for so long. So for sure, it's kind of cool. I hope that one day I can, you know, become that much of like a metal dad.
1: Dude, yeah, he is the ultimate metal dad. Let's be real. (laughs)
2: yeah his his promo photos that i see now on on interviews he's wearing like the hawaiian shirt and the crocs and he's got the guitar and the like the big like floppy hat yeah and i'm like man this is like this josh is, is looking my this dream up right
1: now josh is yeah. looking this up right at this moment
2: yeah
0: <laughs> i don't know anything about him
1: dude
2: Devin Which towns awesome, really is awesome man i just know
1: he's like
0: really really popular and he's like like you said the father of metal
2: well, I don't know if he's the father of metal. He's, he's definitely like metal. But one he, of the fathers. The thing father. about Devin is that he's like, he's this, he's like a smart guys. He's like mm. intelligent people metal. Yeah. Um, so like he's, he's not, you know, he's not on the same level as like lamb of God or oh my goodness. someone like that. He's like just barely below that. If mm. now there was a time when strapping young lad was definitely at that top level. Yeah. Um,
0: Tell me but, why he he like transformed in the into the Seth Godin of metal,
1: dude. That's exactly what he is.
0: <laughs> he turned into the Seth Godin of metal. That's it. Does he does he talk like whenever he talks? Does he have like a really soothing like calm voice?
2: Yeah, pretty pretty much. Did you, did you see is. this this photo? Wait, I don't know if
1: it'll be. Yeah, a Yeah, that's up the one on the
0: I just looked at.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'll yeah, throw it up. I'll throw it up the on the Crocs screen. The Crocs are so uh, tight on 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 the YouTube video.
2: But, I mean, even – I think it's just – it's. I think this is a perfect – yeah, we're we're spending a lot of time talking about how awesome he is.
1: Well, yeah, but he is. I mean, that was a defining moment in your musical career. And you you can go watch –
2: you should – You should. yeah, Josh, if you don't know his – you should just go watch some of his, like, live performances he's done in the past Mm -hmm. few years. He's got some where, like, he'll bring, like, circus performers up on stage with him and, like, just crazy stuff. From a level
1: of creativity, like – and the reason I want to bring up that story is there's a lot – I know that you learned from just doing that.
2: Right. Well, and I would I would also say this. So from like a production and music, making music standpoint, like Devin does everything the wrong way. And what I mean by that is there's no sense in spending that much time and effort on music anymore, but he does. And that's why I love it. So when I say the wrong way, I mean that in scare quotes. Like, in, yeah, as in like the industry now is like just crank out the content and you really don't need to spend like two years working on a record because the pay, the return is not worth it. But Devin's the kind of guy who will still spend like 200 grand out of his pocket to go fly to, I mean, you can find these videos online. He'll like fly to Europe and hire a choir of people to sing songs that are about cheeseburgers and stuff like for his album and just like silly stuff. And he'll, he'll do a performance in, um, royal albert hall or something like that that costs him a ton of money out of his pocket but he just so that's a huge influence on me i mean Mm -hmm. nate washburn and i were talking about this new death therapy record we're like man this record doesn't make any sense like we're we've been working on it for a year and a half there's nobody should be doing this (laughs) you know like to make like a rock or metal record like we should be able to crank it out in like you know a couple weeks in the studio and be done but we just keep working on it. So, but it sounds it's kinda,
1: super cool. Like, yeah, it's, I,
2: we're trying to make something kind of hi fi and kind of different and kind of like, oh man, listen to, I can hear the fuzz pedal in this. Yeah. Like, as a versus, like, it just sounds like distortion that so comes from a box. You know,
1: let's let's go from like ending of BTA. So I know the mm-hmm. last record you weren't of becoming the archetype. You weren't necessarily in the band. I know you rode on it though
2: the last record that they did the I am mm-hmm. record 2013 yeah. yeah i didn't write any music but i wrote some of the lyrics
1: yeah so and that was your first it was weird because it was the band that you were in but it was mm-hmm. your first instance of writing lyrics for other people even though it was mm-hmm. technically your own band so
2: yeah well yeah. and that was actually just more of like a creative brainstorm i actually just if I remember correctly, I just sort of had an idea one night laying in mm-hmm. bed, which is usually where I have my ideas. I'll be asleep or about to fall asleep, and I'll have an idea and have to get up. And I had a concept for an album and just basically wrote those lyrics, and I just sort of volunteered them to yeah. the new vocalist to BTM. I was like, hey, would you would you want these? If you don't, cool. If you do, cool. Yeah. And they ended up using them, and that was cool. Yeah. So uh, Funny, funny fun story about that. Before they did that record, they did a Christmas song, which uh, they did a, a metal version of Oh Holy Night, which is on like the solid state Christmas playlist. Mm-hmm. And every, every single Christmas I get tagged like, thousands of times. This is my favorite Christmas metal song. Jason, you killed it. And I, I'm not on that song. That's, <laughs> that's after I left. It's like right after I left. So fun, fun little story about that. That's so funny.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, that was like your first instance of songwriting for something other than your normal BTA Mm -hmm. stuff, even though it was still for BTA. They also shifted stylistically. Now you kind of left and then like what was the impetus for death therapy Mm -hmm. moving forward? So like how did you get from I'm going to play thrashy death metal really Mm -hmm. fast to I'm going to make rock electronic music. (laughs)
2: Yeah, well, honestly, it was, it was again, this goes back to it being sort of an accident. Um, I didn't really play any music at all for like four or five years and didn't really play, even touch my bass guitar. And then I, um, I had a teaching job, and I thought I was going to transition from doing a teaching job into working for a nonprofit called RIFO that provides host homes, And resources for bands that are on tour, rifo.org, R-Y-F-O. Rock Your Face Off is what it stands for. Um,
1: We've used some of those houses on tour. Yeah, for sure. We've stayed at those houses on tour.
2: And so I was going to work with them as a missionary for that nonprofit organization. And um, I'm a Southern Baptist raised kind of person, so I failed miserably trying to raise money for myself. Um, I just, I'm not good at that. Mm -hmm. So... I found myself like, okay, well, what can I do to raise some money? And I was like, what if I write a couple songs? I didn't think it was going to be a band. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I don't really want to have to worry about getting a band. I'll just write stuff with my bass guitar and uh, program some drums. And that sort of morphed into a death therapy thing. Um, and I honestly had no idea what it was going to sound like. I was just like, what if I just don't have a plan? What if I just write, you know, mm-hmm. stream of consciousness style? So the first Death Therapy record was kind of written like that. The second record was a little bit more, okay, I think I want this to be electronic rock, but with a little bit of metal vibe. And then I realized as I'm writing this new one, I was just like, you know, it's just not metal enough for metal heads. So I'm not really going to try to scratch that itch. And I'm just going to go for what I want to do, which is I just want to make groovy, heavy, dark, alternative rock stuff. With the electronic elements and vibe, and so that's what that's where Death Therapy is landing now, and I think that's probably where Death Therapy will stay. Um, and we'll see how it works out. Maybe some yeah. people are going to be like super bummed that I'm not screaming all the time, or you know, gurgling into the microphone like a <laughs> demon. Um, but, uh, we can, but we can we still... can do that with the Reversalist, and that, they'll just yeah. be able to go listen to that instead. Well, what I
1: was going to say is we, so we the legs. For those that don't know, I play with Jason uh, and death therapy. I play keys for Jason live mm-hmm. and we still play plenty of, we still play a lot. Honestly, the majority of our set is from the first record right, right, right now. Right. Um, yeah, we so, still play because the
2: energy is really high and exactly people know that. And the second record kind of came out, um, that, you know, it's weird. Like the first record was a thing where I think a lot of people checked it out because mm-hmm. they remembered becoming the archetype. By the time the second one came out, it was kind of like, yeah, I'm not really into this like electronic thing. So then the second record didn't really blast off, even though it was um, less electronic. I think yeah, and I think the I think the second record's awesome. And actually, I think BTA fans would like it. So if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, "Oh man, I just remember when he was in becoming the archetype," shut up talking about this new band. This new band sucks. Like, well go go listen to the second record, the Voices record. Like, mm-hmm. track one, track two, track eight, and track nine, or the first two tracks and the last two tracks are just like straight off of a BTA record. Yeah, they so, are. Um, they totally could be in a BTA record. So. For
1: sure. Yeah, you wrote them, especially the last two tracks. They are very much like this big, epic, symphonic-like BTA style, right. almost death metal, but it's more electronic, or not even electronic, it's more scored, I would say, right. like a record. But BTA also it's record. like,
2: I can't, you know, it's not going to accomplish a whole lot um, of metal without a guitar so exactly. with just the bass, it's kind of like you're just getting the rhythm, the rhythmic stuff going down. Exactly. There's a big, there's a big like harpsichord solo in the middle, which mm. is like totally a BTA thing that we mm. would have done back in the day. We we love to, yeah. That's something that Devin inspired in us. I going back to that. Yeah. When we recorded our record, the last record I did with BTA, we were recording with Matt Goldman, who's a good friend, and I've kept up with him over the years. Play board games together. Yep. Um, but like. So we just were like, Well, what if we brought in a guy to play sitar? And Goldman's like, Cool. And Goldman loves the Beatles, so he had yeah. to be in he had to be in with that. And we're like, What if we brought in somebody to like play the saxophone on this song? Oh, cool. So we got the guy from Five Iron Frenzy to play a saxophone solo. Yeah. On a song. Not a saxophone solo, trombone solo. Trombone solo, yeah. Trombone solo. Actually there's a saxophone solo on the new saxophone on the new Death Therapy. Did record. Chris do that one? Yep. Chris Bowman did Heck that yeah. one. Heck yeah. The homie. So yeah, it's awesome
1: that's so sick uh so with the new record like what is your if you had to try to describe like what is your personal influences in this because i know josh is like super into bands like death heaven and super into bands like that like Mm -hmm. what would you describe as your like the impetus of like a bunch of different types of bands that Crush together, make your yeah. thing that you're trying to do.
2: Yeah, I think the new one, the the bands we've talked about when we've been recording it is probably the best way to describe it. So it's mm-hmm. like it's going to sound different than them. No one, no one would, no one would pick up on those things probably. But like we've been talking a lot about like Gorillas, and we've been talking a lot about like um, Royal Blood is a, an obvious one because it's mm-hmm. a two piece band with a bass player with lots of fuzz and stuff um arctic monkeys um um 9 inch nails is kind of an obvious one mm-hmm. um but you know that's all those kind just basically just the general vein of like dark but catchy electronic rock music is kind of what we've been shooting for mm-hmm. you know um death from above 1979 is is a is a great great band yeah, that um in some ways, definitely is the predecessor to Royal Blood, um, and uh, so yeah. I mean, we we've, we've just been kind of trying to put all that stuff in a blender. But also, like I say, we've been talking. We've been like, oh man, we do this thing that sounds kind of like what Kings of Leon used to do, or what if we do this thing that sounds like? I mean, we just mm-hmm. we're just picking all these weird references and trying to do them. And I'm like, man, I wonder if anybody will ever notice that that's what we did. <laughs> and we're like, nah, nobody nobody will ever pick up on that. So.
1: That's really cool. Uh, yeah, that's really nice. Josh, what do you, do you think you... about What do you think
2: about that, Josh?
1: Yeah, dude.
0: I think that that's really cool. I think it's important to like pull references from, like, everything that you enjoy, because at the end of the day, like, you know, there's a lot of great music out there, and there's a lot of great things that you can pull from really crazy places, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I'm always fascinated by bands who do that like um you know like maddie healy's notorious for referencing like old new wave songs and you know different artists that he really enjoyed and kind of like putting them into yeah the work because it's also a part of his story you it know because like as storytellers that- the artists that we enjoy are a part of our story
2: yeah. and yeah. so i mean I, I think that's really cool i can remember being like 19 18 19 years old playing in a up and coming metal band death in in Becoming the Archetype before we were called Becoming the Archetype. And I can remember having this attitude sort of like, we're gonna change everything. We're gonna we're gonna make the most unique music that anyone's ever made and we're gonna push all the boundaries and you know what I mean? And there was a time mm-hmm. in my life where that's and maybe that's like maybe that's totally like a twenty year old energy thing. I don't know. But like <laughs> I was just I, I'm gonna I'm gonna revolutionize the music industry. With this, I'm going to, like, not only am I going to change the music, but, like, I'm going to make this new blend. Like, we thought we were cool. We're, like, we're going to put Christian lyrics over, like, metal. And, of course, everybody was already doing that. But we thought, <laughs> you know, we were, like, two years behind. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which is totally, Andrew and I have joked about this before. Like, I've been putting out these records that are sort of, like, with death therapy that sort of have this, like, 90s industrial vibe. You've been doing but this with, for... the, with the metal and like now I'm watching all these other bands come up that are huge and they're doing it. And I'm like, wait, I'm doing this, too. Do you've I been, not get and, any credit? Like you've
1: literally been doing it for like <laughs> three years longer than everybody right. else. That's but, hilarious. To yeah,
2: me. It's, it's starting to become kind of a thing. And so now I'm I guess what I'm getting at is that's literally a perfect way of describing with this new record. I'm sort of like I'm a lot more mature in the way I'm looking at stuff. I'm like, why don't I just write stuff that sounds like what I like? You know, um, yeah. I was there's no, there's no the harm in that. Number one, I mean, no one's going to recreate the wheel. Um, mm-hmm. And secondly, like if it's, I mean, so a band, I, for example, I think Andrew and I've talked about this before too. Like um, whether you like them or not, a band like the 1975 is a perfect example of someone who every time you hear one of their songs, or at least every time I hear one of their songs, I go, wait a second, I've heard this before somewhere, <laughs> but then I can't quite put my finger on it. So it's not like they're straight ripping anybody, but they just pull together the influences that they have in a um, really creative way so that it feels familiar and it feels like a warm blanket, but it also is new, you know?
0: Yeah. Like their song, Give Yourself a Try, uh, I don't know. I might be thinking way too deeply into this, (laughs) but the lead guitar in that song is very upfront and it's very annoying. It sounds like an amp sim without a cab IR after it. It's just ear piercing, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, it goes like throughout the whole song, like it never takes a break. And so when that song dropped, everybody was talking about how much they hate that guitar. But that's like a really iconic riff because it's the exact same guitar part that's in Disorder by uh, Joy Division. Ah, there you go. It's the exact same thing. And like, uh, I don't know, I think like, things like that are cool. Like, you don't have Mm -hmm. to reinvent the wheel. Like, you know, sometimes it's about introducing a new audience to things that they've missed out on.
1: Yeah, because yeah. i never, I had never listened to Joy Division, and I didn't even know about that until Josh was like, "Yo, Matty Healy loves Joy Division." Obviously, look at this 1975 song versus look at this Joy Division song, and you play them right next to each other, and even like the first, be- the, it's similar enough that you're like, he obviously like is influenced by this. Like they
0: did that on purpose,
1: on purpose. But it's like the same structure and everything. It's yeah. so cool like yeah. he's a
0: huge Fleetwood Mac fan and like you you could tell that Roadkill is definitely like his take on an old Fleetwood Mac song. Mm-hmm. You know, and like uh he hired one of his like favorite producers from his childhood. He hit him up to license one of his songs so he could use samples and the guy was like, "No, like I'll just make you new samples." And so like yeah. he sent him all this stuff. It was some like indie garage producer like, you know, and their latest record is super strange because a lot of it is like garage and you know mm-hmm. stuff that we don't get as americans but it's if you're from the uk, UK it's very nostalgic mm-hmm. and right. um you know i think that things like that are interesting because all of the gen z kids that are going to their concerts like they they more than likely didn't grow up with that kind of music you know right. so it's cool that he's just like doing it for the art of
2: doing yeah, it. i mean and... yeah i <sighs> this is a whole another rabbit trail but like you know a lot, I feel like a lot of people love to crap on, you know, whoever's popular or whatever. That's just kind of a thing that people do. Um, you know, Nickelback or Creed or whoever is like the classic examples mm-hmm. of people just crapping all over.
1: Recently, Billie
2: Eilish. <laughs> but like, I'm specifically thinking of bands that have like, you know, guitar heavy mm-hmm. songs and stuff. And to me, I'm like, man, I just, I love guitar music. I grew up on guitar music. group grew up in the 80s and 90s. And so, if there's a band like the 1975, if there's a band like Ghost, who's another band that everybody craps on, like I'm just like, yeah, or Five Finger Death Punch, even, or Alter Bridge, or whoever you want to talk about, I'm like, dude, but they're playing riffs. I love riffs. I love guitar parts. I, I, I want the, if Post Malone is doing this thing now where he's like totally revealing that he grew up as like a, you know, a 90s alternative kid, but then you know, took a sidetrack into like hip hop. And now he's like coming back around to like, Hey, let me just jam Nirvana songs and Alice in Chains songs. Well, that to me, there's people out there like, this is so dumb. You know, they crap all over. I'm like, dude, he's introducing
1: a whole new generation generation of people
2: to amazing music. What if, what if it spurs, like, what if instead of crapping on it, what if we lifted it up and we, we got this whole new like rock revival that could come around.
0: So that's the thing. You know, MGK released that record, which personally I don't think was that great, but it's huge. Right. And it's like, wow, like all of a sudden pop punk's on the radio again from one record. Or Miley is now doing the whole 80s right. rock thing. And Yeah, pop rock I'm, thing. I'm, way, and it's
2: like, I'm way into that. Even So I guess what I'm saying is like, okay, maybe it's not my favorite thing. But I'm super glad they're doing it because – if I could flip on the radio and hear you know in ten years' time from now, there's some new people writing like you mentioned Fleetwood Mac, I'm like, nobody's writing music like that anymore. That music's so great. I mean, there are people writing music like that, but I just mean like on the at the time, or this is a silly example, but Nate and I were talking about this. we were like you know, um, I just forget Phil Collins, Phil Collins, like you know most famous, like you know, the drum Phil like in the air tonight, mm-hmm. right. I was like, nobody's writing stuff like that now. That song was like the biggest song when it happened on the radio. But like it takes like seven minutes before the beat drops in. Like nobody writes music like that anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. How cool would it be, though, if a lot of people could like start to love that kind of thing? Or, I don't know, there's Pink Floyd songs that take like eight minutes to get to the climax or whatever. That's some of my favorite stuff. And I guess, you know i don't know that's like it's dad uh, rock i guess at this point but i think it'd be cool if it could just become rock again
0: (laughs) yeah yeah like being like really into pop music it's like songs for me like i love when songs are only two and a half minutes long because like (laughs) it's interesting like the art of saying as much as you can in a short period of time like true you know like mark twain would have written a short book if he had the time Mm -hmm. and uh so like that, that that always really interests me. But I love that Bring Me. They started putting out songs that are almost five minutes long,
2: and they're doing these like videos that are like almost like little mini movies and stuff, which is kind of cool. You're giving people an, a bigger experience. They get it. Is, yeah, they just it's totally get it. different. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Like yeah. whatever it is, it, it could be yeah. anything. They get it.
1: Yeah, me and Jason talk about how Bring Me is like always just a, a couple years ahead of literally everybody else
2: everyone's just trying to catch up to wherever they're at yeah. and to a certain extent that's it can be bad to, for some mm-hmm. people because it can they do it super obviously some yeah. bands do um, and I think it can be to some of their detriment but I also think Bring Me is Bring Me The Horizon is in some ways giving they're doing what the 1975 what I was describing they're giving you a package that's like man this reminds me of and you can't quite put your finger on it it's like is it linkin park is it like what is it that it sounds like you know what i mean but i love it it's it's got that it's it's catchy it's radio friendly but it's heavy and it's gritty and it's different and it all it all just works um, yeah. and then they can also be like the... hey we'll just put out a we'll just put out a record of just like goofing around tracks that are like super artsy Bro, that's my that favorite by That them. is
1: Josh's favorite album that, yeah, that they have never put them. out. Yeah, I, like, when I say goofy, I'm I getting... don't mean
2: like in a bad way. I just mean like just like it. just people just having fun. Yeah. Turning something out. I think every producer
0: out. should do that. One, I think Jordan Fish is a genius and I think Maddie Healy is also a genius. If they were to collide, the world would explode. <laughs> Two, I think that every producer should put out a crazy mixtape like Bring Me Did and like Yeah, You know, just for the sake of creating, just like put out art that isn't perfect and put out art that's weird. Because, you know, to me, like I'm at that point where I don't listen to a lot of music because I only listen to things that I like. Right. A hundred percent. And I over I I'm overly critical of the songs that I listen to. So having something that's so artsy and so off the wall is really refreshing because I can listen to it. Speaking speaking of that person.
2: Speaking of that. When you're done here, okay, when you're done here, there are two songs that have been released on Epitaph Records by Danny Elfman in the past Dude. like two two months. Dude. They are no one is making music like this. Now, as a guy who's a little bit older, I'm like, this totally feels like something that someone would have done in the 90s because mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. But you should just go, I think you'll hear them the same way that I'm talking. Like what you just said, you're like. It's almost like for someone to get your attention, they need to go further than just like, oh, yeah, we experimented. We put a different guitar sound on this one. No. Like if you got to go further than that, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, Give me I like want, something like, else.
0: I, I want it to sound like an anime intro. and <laughs> But then at the yeah. same time, it needs to sound like Chelsea Grin. Like there's no in between here. We need the weirdest <laughs> stuff that we could possibly create. So then that way... I am so hyper focused on the composition that I don't pay attention to how bad the snare sounds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, that's what I need.
1: <laughs> the other thing, so me and uh, Joe, you know, I think you've, you've, we've talked about Joe before, Josh. Joe from uh, Get Good Drums. Oh, yeah. He d- yeah. He was the one that turned me on to that Danny Elfman stuff.
2: It's crazy. It's interesting. Wild. It's, it's weird. I mean, it, it definitely feels like almost like you're listening to a weird horror movie soundtrack at mm-hmm. times that's what, Dan- that's what Danny Elfman does but yeah and it's also it's like there's a band playing it and there's like the videos is the whole experience mm-hmm. um it's to me it's like Danny Elfman's like in his 60s the guys mm-hmm. in Bring Me in the Horizon are not in their 60s but there's like a there's a to me there's like a similar energy like mm-hmm. that they're tapping into which is just when I hear the Danny Elf especially his, his latest one which is called Sorry his second one that he put out The first one is called Happy. The second one's called Sorry. But, like, the second one is, like, it's just such a raw, it's almost like he just, for lack of a better way of put it, it's almost like he just got super wasted and just wrote down a bunch of ideas and then tracked them. And there's something about, like, nobody does that now. Because it's yeah, so like, easy, but yeah. like, well, no, like not not whatever. nobody, not nobody does that. There are people doing. I mean, I think hip hop a lot of times has guys that do that, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of people love that like raw energy that they come with because they just like smoke a bunch and then <laughs> lay down whatever comes out of their mouth, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think with rock and metal, especially, it's just become so easy to like sterilize it. Yeah, um, I mean that's and all. Make it, it is. perfect,
0: and I feel like a lot of times like people are afraid of it being too different and i don't understand why because everything sounds the same so why wouldn't you right. want to make it interesting like code orange blew up because they were like nah we're gonna do this and it yeah. worked and then they brought in all the 90s vibes and it's just like then they ripped off death therapy
1: and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's the one yeah, of those bands that's one of those bands where me and, yeah we're gonna Jason give me that where they
2: gonna give me that head bob head nod yeah at tip right. Hat tip, death therapy. They never heard of me. That yeah, it's they special. am. They're <laughs> they're just creative people. No, if they the, take us on tour. They'd be amazing. True, I'm trying to do that. No, the I'll uh, figure out where they live and I'm go say, knock on their door for you.
1: <laughs> what I was going to say is, uh, so when you're when you're looking at like that level of creativity, um, and pushing, you're not really pushing the boundaries necessarily, but you're just like combining things in a really weird way. I think Josh would like to know this too as a songwriter for those things, what is your kind of approach for lyric writing and melody writing for those types of songs?
2: Well, um, this is going to be kind of like, a a shock to some people probably, I guess, but like, um, when I decided to write this record, this, it was an intentional thing to write this third record with someone else, with Nate Mm -hmm. Washburn. Um, he worked on the second record, but he just did like some production and he, he he has the producer credit. Cause at the end of the day, he did a ton of the keyboard production, he did a ton of the other stuff. We worked to produce the thing, but I recorded all the vocals with Matt Goldman. I recorded every, like we just recorded everything the way that it was in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, you know what would be cool. I've written these first two records entirely the way I wanted them. What if I wrote with somebody else and just sort of came with really raw ideas. And so there are melodies that I wrote on both of the first two Death Therapy records. There's not really very many melodies on BTA. There was mm-hmm. very little singing, mostly screaming. But there's melodies on on the first two Death Therapy records. But they're pretty safe, mm-hmm. if I had to be honest. Pretty safe melodies. They just kind of hang around the, ton- the tonic, and you know they get to jump up an octave, and that's where the energy comes from. But then I was like, man, it'd be really cool to just... I don't know. Um, there's, just band, there's some bands that just write really cool. I mean, Radiohead's a band that just writes melodies that are just like, how? How, how did he come up with that melody? You know, um,
1: Nine Inch Nails is similar. Yeah, and so we sit, I'm sitting
2: with Nate, and we, a lot of times, honestly, I was like, okay, here's what I want to do. I've got this this idea. I know what the vocal rhythm is going to be because I've spent my whole life writing vocal rhythms. But what if I just tell you the vocal rhythm and then we sit here and brainstorm a melody? you know, and we did that with a lot of songs. And I think for me, that's probably going to be the way I write a lot of stuff going forward is sort of like, well, let's just, I mean, I mean, sometimes you just want to just organically, whatever comes out, you know, this is what I'm going to sing, but it was a lot of fun for me to sort of just like bounce ideas off of someone else and see what they think the melody should be. I think sometimes as a musician, it can be a game of like, I want to be in control. Like I want, To do exactly what's in my head, and I'm scared to hear what somebody else's idea would be. Um, So it's kind of a cool, vulnerable to me. It's a cool, vulnerable thing to just be like, "Well, okay. Well, what do you think we should do here?" (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Um, when I was in BTA, we we were kids. You know, we were 18 when we 20 years old when we got signed. You know, we fought all the time. Like your riffs suck. I hate your that riffs dumb. We shouldn't do this song. You know, like we just ripped each other apart. Now I look back and I'm like, man. What if we could have been like okay? Well, what if we changed that riff up? You know what I mean? Like, what if we mm-hmm. collaborated more and weren't so egotistical or whatever, that narcissistic? So, a lot of the like, there's the melodies on the new record are super um, developed, and we've worked a ton on them. And um, yeah, I mean, that's that's not really your question. Um, so, like, there are some. There's one song on this record which I I don't think you've got to hear a a rough mix of this one. I'll send it to you later, but it almost sounds like a soundtrack to like a Guy Ritchie, like um, (laughs) like a Jason Statham movie. Yeah, it's like super like soundtracky, like weird. It's got all these like horns. It's the one that Chris Bowman played on. Oh yeah, super super weird track. And we were like, man, is this gonna be an instrumental? I was like, no, I gotta write some vocals to this. Um, I think I even might have sent it to you at one point when it was an instrumental. I was like, I don't know. No, no, it was a different song. But anyway, I was like, i got to write some vocals. And so that with that, dude, I just literally just threw spaghetti at the wall to see what would work. Like, just went into the vocal booth and just recorded. I was like, well, what if I do this, like, spoken word poetry over this part? And then what if I yell at this part? And what if I... Yeah. So I think maybe sometimes people are scared to try stuff and then it might suck. I know when I was when I was 20 years old in the studio, I wouldn't even let the other guys in the band in the room when I was recording vocals and that was for screaming vocals. Yeah. Like no pitch involved, no auto tune. And yeah. I was like, no, I don't want anyone to hear this until it's done. Cause I'm so self-conscious about what if I suck? Mm-hmm. And now I'm just like, all right, Nate, just turn it on and let's see what happens. Like, <laughs> you know, and a lot of times he's just laughing at me and I'm laughing at myself. Like, okay, yeah, that yeah. was really lame. It sounded I like love, cookie monster. Let's Nate. not do that.
1: I love, so. Well, it, it helps that Nate is kind of, he's such a, fun dude to like hang around and he's so funny no he's a slave master and like the worst (laughs) from and from like a producer perspective like it's being like having to vocal produce that is like a huge part of you know having that connection with the person that you're working with feeling that comfortability and being able to like you you and him for because nate's not much older than me uh, he's not that much older than me, uh, and he, like 83. <laughs> <to> be, well, <laughs> he's like eighty uh, yeah, three. But yeah, basically, I mean, it's super old. The dude, the no, the dude is—he's no, is, like, like early thirties, right? Yeah, but he's like an old soul. Mm. Like he is very mm. much—he is, though, in my yeah. opinion. Oh, I hear you. He very much is an old soul, so he vibes with you on another level that I can't. Like I listen to all the stuff that you and I talk about, but it's not like he's listened to it so much longer and that's his favorite stuff. And like, that's like the stuff he loves the most mm-hmm. to produce. And like, so it's, a, it's that connection between you two on that level is something that is pretty unique. And I think is something from a artist perspective that I, I think that people should look for more in their producers. Is that like yeah. connectivity? I think people pick producers cause they're like, they worked on a record that they like, or which is fine right. or like you know they worked uh like this record sounds really cool but like f- vibing with that person i think josh will back me up is like almost more important
2: yeah you want to find somebody that you so you much know more na- important. The pro- if nate and i have any problem at all it's that we'll get together in the room and we'll just like you know talk for two hours before and we're like oh crap we okay we actually got to get to work <laughs> like we just like hanging out. And so then when I, when we finally do get to recording something, it's just fun. It's like, okay, well, cool. Let's try this part. Well, what if we bring out this weird Jesus fish tambourine and try it out for the song? And what if we, do, you know, and it's just like, who knows like, what's, what's going to happen? Hey, what if we put like a, you know, what if we put like a super weird, like noise on this part? And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, what kind of noise? You want to find the sample? He's like, no, why don't you just start making noises into the microphone? I'm like, okay. You know, and I just, and then it's, yeah, to me, I think that's, again, that's the quote unquote wrong way to make music, Mm -hmm. but it's so much more fun and rewarding. Um, and it's a shame. It's a shame that it's hard to do that. You know, budgets are not there for Mm -hmm. that. Um, and Nate's definitely working for basically nothing to do this, um, record with me. Um, and I just hope that when it's done, people will be able to hear how much fun we had making it and how, you know, how it it brings together it's like it's rock it's heavy it's got electronic stuff it's got soundtracky stuff cuz that soundtracky stuff is definitely something he and I both love mm-hmm. um you know there's there's just a lot of that kind of stuff we want the record we've even talked about when we get the record mastered like we really want to make sure that it ends up still feeling like a hi-fi soundtracky thing rather than like a super compressed metal thing cuz it's not a metal thing at all mm. Um, so, yeah, and that approach is
1: super different. I think for anybody in the, because I mean you're still with solid state. So right. anybody on, in that solid state records, rise records, face down epitaph kind of world, mm-hmm. like that's super a different mindset. I think from anybody else, Josh. You were and, and say it might something. and it
2: might backfire. It might be horrible, but <laughs> <laughs> but to a certain extent, that's what we've been talking about for the last like 20 minutes, and that's what yeah. I'm saying is like that record that Bring Me the Horizon did that Josh loved so much might have backfired. And it did with some people, right? But it also landed a super huge blow for a lot of people, you know what I mean? It was like the strongest punch for a lot of people. So I, you know, I used to read a lot of C.S. Lewis and stuff because I grew up Christian kid doing that kind of thing. And I can remember when I got to be in like, got to be in college, Bible college, people were like, well, you know, C.S. Lewis, like, he he believes the wrong stuff about this or that. And I'm like, okay, but like I'm glad that he was trying stuff. You know what I mean? I'm glad that he, you know what I mean? It's yeah. I guess that's yeah. I guess that's the theme of what we've been talking about. And it's anybody, better to
0: miss. It's better to miss a really long shot than hit something that's really close and easy to get. Yeah, I
2: mean, you know, it's it's super boring to me to just everything's just turns out exactly the same. So somebody might as well just be like, hey, well, what if we like, what if we made this song sound like, like I said, that one we are working on, it's like a Jason Statham soundtrack, but then it's got vocals over top of it. Well, people might hate this song. Okay. We love it. Sounds rad. <laughs> maybe somebody will love it. You know, maybe somebody will hear it and they'll think it's the coolest song they've ever heard because I can promise they've never heard a song like it. Like, so. Yeah. That's the thing.
1: I'm excited to hear the uh, Jesus Fish in the next Fast and Furious movie.
2: Yeah, man. Jesus Fish tambourine. Actually, that Jesus Fish tambourine didn't work out. It does not yeah, sound good. I don't I'll think something about the shape. Right now. I need one. You, gotta, just, uh, Jesus you do what, Josh? Fish. I'm ordering one. you order one. <laughs> one right now? <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't sound quite as good as a regular. Bro, you can get a 12 tamb-
0: count for $18. Straight from China. <laughs> get it.
1: Get it. Uh, so, and I think... As we're like winding down on this, I want to kind of go over. I
2: thought this was the Joe Rogan, yeah, podcast. I thought we were going for like four hours.
1: Yeah, no,
0: no, no. we, we okay. don't. We don't have. I don't have that kind of attention span. Yeah, do really ADD? Really, I really get, quickly. Like you could, you could tell whenever the podcast is winding down because I start getting real antsy, and my internal clock is like it's probably like fifty minutes or so. And
2: yeah, I think yeah. that's that's
1: you're about right. Um, I want to I want to kind of give you a chance to give some shouts to some records that majorly influenced you. Mm-hmm. So, like, give us like five records that like changed your view, or and maybe something that you learned from them.
2: Mm. Records that changed my view. Um. Well, when I was I've mentioned this earlier. When I was growing up, I grew up in church. And in youth group, one time I discovered that there was such a thing as Christian rock music. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know that oh, it existed. No. So I discovered this band called MXPX. And they had a record called Slowly Going Away of the Buffalo. Now, that's not necessarily the one that everybody points to. A lot of people point to Life in General, yeah, which is like a seminal record. But to me, that's Slowly the Going Away of the now. Buffalo is like a perfect pop punk record it's just like it's perfect every song there's no skip there's no tracks to skip it's just perfect and i heard that on cassette tape and i was just like this is this is cool i want to do something like this and And that that was even that was before i even like played an instrument or or accidentally ended up in a band i just remember being like enraptured by it. It it's funny because now you know i look back and it's like well that's so simple so Mm -hmm. simplistic but that hit me so hard that that slowly going the way the buffalo Record. They were a
1: skate punk then, right? Still?
2: Yeah, it was well it was it, no, I mean it's slowly going the way of the Buffalo is pretty straight up like a pop, pop, pop punk I mean, Okay, it's just cool. pop
1: punk. I could never it's, remember. It's that. like it they... sounds a
2: little bit like well, Blink one eighty two kind of stuff, but I mean it's it's yeah. a MXPX. PX. I know they've they... kind of become their own thing, I guess. Yeah.
1: I know earlier they were like into that whole skate punk kind of yeah. thing. And then I know they dipped into the pop punk and kinda of never left.
2: Yeah. I and and I loved that. Um so then, if I zoom forward a little bit, when I accidentally got into a band, uh, the guys were listening to a record by a band called Living Sacrifice, um, called Reborn, and I was like, literally scared. I was scared <laughs> when I heard the vocalist doing these like like growling vocals, yeah. and I was like, this is absolutely terrifying. But the fact that the fact that everyone else around me thinks it's normal, I was like, okay, I got to figure out why they like this you know (laughs) um so i figured out why they like it and i liked it because of the energy and the rhythms and everything Mm -hmm. um and that really pulled me in and then from there i went like it's almost like an escalating thing so like from there i discovered uh, a band i discovered dream theater and i heard all their stuff but like i got into them at exactly the time which i would say was their greatest moment which was when they did the uh, metropolis part two scenes from a memory record oh god uh, that record
1: is so good
2: which is when (laughs) uh which is when jordan rudis joined the band yes and in my opinion that's just the record that just Mm -hmm. it's like if you want prog rock that's the record it Mm -hmm. just sets the bar and i remember being so into it that my girlfriend at the time who's now my wife was buying me like cds from the columbia record club um i don't know if you remember the columbia record club but it was like you you know you sign up and then you pay like a penny for a record or like 10 records you pick and you get each one for a penny and you're supposed to like subscribe later but then nobody ever did um she got me all these dream theater records and stuff it was super cool um i was super into that and then i was like from there i was like okay like I just want to make music and that's when I really started like when you know, I was in so then I was this dude who like had a background of like I love poppy music but like I love the heavy stuff I love the proggy stuff and that's where become the architect kind of is born is through all the heavy and proggy stuff but then fast forward again to where I'm at now and now I'm like okay well I kind of want to write some poppy stuff like <laughs> I kind of mm-hmm. want to write some like catchy hooks and that's actually more challenging. When I was 20 years old, I thought the only, no, man, pop music's easy. Anybody can do that.
0: Right? right? That's what I thought too. And then I realized that making something that's simple, good, <laughs> like also good, right. is so much harder. It's so like, hard. I, like, which is why so few people do it. I was like, there's a million playing bands playing like, like, all brruh, of brruh. these Veil vale Amaya songs, like it was nothing. Right? And now it's like, I'm 23 and I'm still learning how to perfect a four chord song, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it's just totally different.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I'm glad you told me you're 23 because I think I've probably said like a hundred times during this back when I was 20 and I was an idiot. Um, <laughs> so like no offense to anyone else who's near 20. Josh, um, Josh is just... It was uh, only talking about myself.
1: Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm
2: I'm still an idiot, so it's fine. Josh got, uh, okay. his,
1: Josh got his idiocracy, more of his idiocracy out when he was 18.
2: There you go. But like, yeah, yeah so now oh, I've come back around dumb. in like... I mean I was into stuff back then in the 90s I was into like you know rage against the machine I was into like even limp biscuit and I was into like you know the stuff that was uh linkin park the stuff so like all of this stuff in a blender I want to write like now I just want to write stuff that just is catchy but it's got a little dark edge to it and it's got a little creativity edge to it like I'm not you know I'm not a good enough singer to try to be like, well, let me just write some like straight pop music. <laughs> like that's not going to happen. But what if I could write some, like, I mean, nine inch nails has pop songs. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They don't, they're not called pop songs, but they're like, you know what I mean? Um, they're structured like them. They're songs that, that exist in the popular culture. You know what I mean? Like they get they're in movies, they're in commercials, they're in Trent Reznor just did the soundtrack to soul, the movie mm-hmm. soul. I mean, like, which is, Crazy, you know, the guy from Nine Inch Nails is making movies now, movies, Disney movies. So, yeah, yeah, so it's crazy. If I could end up there one day, that'd be cool. Mm
1: -hmm. That's that's wild. Those are some good, those are some really solid choice records, too. Those, (laughs) those, a couple that you listen, that you, uh, that you listen. Yeah, no, um, I think, I think we're, I think we are done. Uh, Josh, do you have any last minute, last questions or anything like that? Um,
0: Not that I can think of.
1: Not that you can think I of. I think
0: I mean I mean you covered the crazy tour stories. Yeah. We talked about like your favorite experience in the studio. Like I think you covered mm-hmm. all the bases, man.
2: Yeah, and yep. then I you know, like a year ago I bought this SM this uh, this fifty seven. <laughs> and,
1: re- and he's recording a bunch of stuff and
2: and-, <laughs> and I and I uh and this little this little crappy like uh, little focus right scarlet. Little oh, interface, little How about and those? and COVID hit, and I was like, okay, well, so then I, so there it is, he's got it. I um, got one too. Co- then COVID hit, and I was like, well, I guess I could just sit down, get a little MIDI keyboard, and I wrote a bunch of like little electronic instrumental video game slash metal things with a lot tons of MIDI stuff. That's awesome. Um And then I did the, a cover song mm-hmm. um of a Living Sacrifice song from that Reborn record that I was talking about, and then started writing some stuff that. I sent to Andrew and Andrew's produced and put some guitars on for the reversal stuff. And all that's come from literally just having this one microphone and the little scarlet box and a laptop and just trying to be like, how can I, I've always made music in the big studio, you know, but how, so I guess what I'm saying is I've had great experiences both ways. Mm -hmm. And Jason uses Reaper. Yeah. I'm using Reaper to record this. I mean, but even as you know, I'm almost 40 years old. I, I feel like I'm just getting started is basically what I'm saying. Yeah, dude. So,
1: yeah. no, That's really cool. I think that's a great note to land the plane on. Uh, you don't need a lot to work, and yeah. you can constantly keep growing and feel like you're making new steps forward and making music differently. I think totally. that's, that's a pretty cool little little nugget of wisdom for everybody. Uh, thank you for hanging out, Jason. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you so much,
0: man. It was really yep. nice meeting thank you. you and, uh, awesome
1: sharing your story. Yeah, yep. dude. Uh, thanks for hanging out guys. Uh, see you next time. The end. And that's it for this episode of the home studio hangout podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please check us out on your favorite podcasting platform. Leave a review. It helps the show so much. I uh, kind of get out there for new people to find. Uh, if you want to watch this, if you aren't already uh, check us out on YouTube by searching home studio hang out uh, and thank you so much again for giving us your time and your attention and remember keep on creating